Good morning. Let's turn in our Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 15. We're going to think about God as a prospector this morning. Matthew 15, beginning in verse 21, just eight verses. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord, yet... Even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. I love this passage. I know I say that every time, but it's one of my favorite passages in the Bible. It's often ignored. It's often misunderstood because uh, Jesus is apparently rude to this woman. And Christians get apologetic about it. But uh, that's because they don't understand what's going on. God's a prospector. He's looking for riches. Not the kind of riches we look for. In fact, uh, in the Gospel of Luke, it says that the things that men value so highly to God, they're an abomination. God doesn't need any gold. He doesn't need any silver. He created it all. But there are certain things that are precious to him. One in particular, I love um, the verse in Second Chronicles. It says, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth, looking for a heart that's loyal to him. Like a prospector looking for gold. But he's not looking for gold. He's looking for that rarer commodity. As it says, uh, I think in the Nasby, looking for a heart that's completely his. That's good. That's precious to God. In fact, uh, I've mentioned this before. I love the book of 1 Peter. Just turn there to chapter 1 of uh, 1 Peter. 1 Peter, among other things, uh, is a book of precious things. In fact, it tells us th- six things from God's point of view that are valuable. And therefore, they are the only things that are valuable. He uses either the word precious or incorruptible to describe six things in this book. Uh, the first thing we're all familiar with is in uh, verse 18, for example, uh, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold. You like that silver and gold? Yeah, you know, that worthless stuff. Isn't that good? Praise God, we can never be redeemed by hard metal. Uh, from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but 
with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. That's precious. That's it's got infinite value. The blood of Christ. It, it, it translates a sinner headed for hell into heaven. That, that's pretty valuable stuff. Let me tell you. Well, he goes on. We won't turn to all of them, but for example, in verse 23, he talks about the incorruptible seed, which is the word of God. I'm not surprised. This is precious. Do you think, it, do you think this is precious? Man, I love it. Uh, not surprisingly, in chapter 2, verses 4 through 7, the Lord Jesus himself is called precious three times. First, he's precious to God, and then it says he's, just, he's precious in and of himself, and then he's precious to us. Uh, ladies, in chapter 3, the gentle and quiet spirit of a Christian woman is said to be precious in the sight of God. Wow. Uh, and then here in chapter 1, in verse 4, he says that we have been saved to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Wow. Inheritances in this world fade away one way or the other. Either you spend them or they lose their value or you die. But uh, every believer has an inheritance in heaven that's incorruptible. Isn't that great? And then finally, of course, this is the verse I'm interested in because it's going to apply to our message this morning. Verse 7, Peter writes, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God calls our faith precious. These are things we don't think about generally, you know, as being really valuable. Certainly the world doesn't. But from God's point of view, these are the things that are worth something. And to him, our faith, that is our trust, our belief in him is precious in his sight. It means a lot. Its uh, value is derived from two things. The first thing is, People say, I have faith, you know, I I have faith in this, I believe in that, and so on. Well, this faith that God is talking about here is faith in him, and it derives its value from its object, him. That's what makes it so valuable, so precious. And the other thing, as we saw in uh, Chronicles, is its rarity. It's really not that common, true faith in the living God. It's very rare. And when God finds, as he's looking to and fro over the earth, and when he finds real faith, he likes to say, look what I found. You know? Gold miners actually didn't do that. (laughs) For good reason. You know? But God does that. And he likes, when, when he sees it, he likes to show it to everybody. But you can't see faith. The one with a faith has to do something so you can see it. And God helps that process along. And that's what the book of First Peter is all about because the believers he's writing to are undergoing great trials. And he likens it to fire. That's what he says here, tried by fire. And the Bible is full of uh, refining pictures. 
Andy's eyes are, are lighting up here because he's a physical chemist. He knows all about this. You know, it's really cool when you have something valuable you want, like whether it's diamond, silver, or gold, it starts off buried in the dirt or rocks. You know, you don't see it. You've got to go through a process, right? To get it from where it is, where you don't even know it's there, and finally extract it so that you can make it into a necklace or a wedding ring or, or you know, uh, what is it? Um, if you love her, you'll give her diamonds or something like that. You know, that, so that it's usable. And that process is called refining. And so God likens the trials that we go through to purify our faith, which is more precious than gold, uh, to the fire that is used to refine uh, gold. It's interesting that when you're after something valuable like gold, silver, and diamonds, uh, the processes you typically have to apply to it have good counterpoints in suffering. High temperature, high pressure, or as we're going to talk about, nitric acid. It's interesting. And so that's why God uses that parallel. He talks about his word, for example, in uh, Psalm 12. He says it's like silver that's been tried in the fire seven times. Isn't that cool? It's not that it started out with all this stuff in it that you had to get rid of. What he's saying is you can study every single word in here and know that it's got some great value there's no wasted words in other words in here that's beautiful uh, diamonds are often separated by uh, by crushing because they can withstand great pressure and the other stuff that might be in there like dirt and rocks can't and so you end up with diamonds and powder and the powders is non-diamond well uh, back back to matthew 15 now because that's what jesus is doing here he is bringing out this woman's faith. It's a great faith. He says that at the end. And it's like he, he knew it at the very beginning that she had this faith. He could see into her heart. He knew it was there, but nobody else could see it. And so that's what he's doing here. He's in the process of bringing that faith out so everybody can see what great faith she has. It's like he sees the gold and nobody else does. And he wants to go, look what I found. And so that's what he's doing here in Matthew 15. But I'm going to liken it because there's a great parallel here. He does it gradually. He does it a step at a time. And there's a process. In fact, if you were to go out and do gold mining up in the foothills of the Sierras, you would go through this graduated process where you begin with, with water. In fact, everybody has seen these sluices that they used to use right in the old 49er days, the big, long, wooden box-like things with the stream running down it. And they're shoveling gravel and, and dirt in there. And the water washes away most of the, the bad stuff because the gold is heavier and it settles to the bottom. And they have these uh, little uh, wooden blocks, um, baffles, across the bottom of it. And so the gold gets trapped behind those. You know what, you, you know what I'm talking about, right? You've seen these? And so uh, they would start with that. And nowadays they have these, uh, you can actually go buy them. The sluices are about this long now, and they hold them like this. I see some guys nodding. They hold them at an angle about like this, and you just put the stuff up here, and it's got ribs on it. And as it runs down, hopefully, you know, nowadays there's little tiny gold flakes, you know, that might be left behind. But uh, sometimes if the gold is, is uh, 
combined with other stuff, then the next process is to add lie to it. Lie, right? You know, lie. It's you, used to. Can you believe they used to use it for soap? <laughs> yeah, you don't want to touch that stuff; it burns. Uh, but then finally, at the end, uh, if the water and the lie don't, see, it gets stronger and stronger. The next thing they add is nitric acid. You don't want to touch that stuff, okay? Because it dissolves everything but the gold. It's cool. In fact, if you have some silver in there, you know, you want you don't want any silver. You just want the gold. You pour the nitric acid. It dissolves the silver, but it won't it won't harm the gold. So uh, that's the way I want to think about it, because the Lord does it in steps here that they get stronger and stronger as he brings out the 24 carat faith in this woman for everyone to see. Okay, so she comes, she wants help. Her, Her daughter is demon possessed. And so what's the first thing Jesus does? Well, it's what he doesn't do. Verse 23 says the answer in not a word. Can you admit you're not going to read that anyplace else in the Bible? Jesus never treats anybody that way. And right away you're going, man, that's rude. No, listen, Jesus knows what he's doing. And she, she could have come. He could have said, uh, as your faith is, so be it according to you. You know, go home, your daughter's healed. And that'd be the end of it. And we'd never know the great faith that this woman has. And so Jesus is going to share it with everybody by apparently being rude. Really what he's doing, he's he's testing her, you see. And so the first one is just nothing. You know, she's pleading and, and uh, he just doesn't answer a word. So we might call this the, the water. Okay, you know, running water like the sleuths. And as I thought about this, you know, there's a real parallel with this in the world right now. Uh, God has a sluice running just like the prospectors did 24 hours a day to separate out the real or the genuine, as it said in first Peter from the false. Did you know that? Particularly when it comes to saving faith, that is saying, I believe Jesus Christ. He's my savior. Praise God. I'm a Christian now. He has a sluice that's running that separates out the false from the true. He talks about the elements of that sluice in Matthew 13. One that he uses, and by the way, the, the devil's behind a couple of these. One is the cares of this world. And the other is persecution. Someone gets all excited and, you know, boy, it sure looks like they're saved. But then they find out that uh, they're going to lose some friends. Uh oh, you know, I'm going to have to take a stand for Jesus Christ and be connected with those other weird people called Christians, you know, and all of a sudden they get washed out along with the other muddy water, like in the sluice. You understand? It's it's running 24 hours a day. And I've seen over 1972, that's almost 40 years now. Right, Howard? We've seen a lot of people come and go who profess faith and the sluice is running and they see that persecution coming or the cares of the world. You know, they just they'd rather love the world than Jesus. And you can't do that because God says, if any man, if any man loves the world, what? The love of the father is not in him. You're not saying because you can't love the world and Jesus, too. So that sluice is running and, and we've seen people just come and go, come and go. 
But praise God for the genuine article that sticks. You know, that water, that that worldly cares and, and that persecution washes over the genuine believers too. And you can tell they're genuine because they stay like the gold, solid gold. Well, there's an application too um, for us as believers in here because Jesus ignored her and all she did was hang on all the tighter. I love that. And it's a lesson for us not to give up too easily in prayer. You know, it's interesting that when the Lord taught about prayer, uh, first it says uh, he taught that all men should, should pray always. That's, that's good. But he also taught about a particular aspect of prayer, and that is persistence. He taught particularly about that subject. Why? Well, because sometimes we're not persistent. We give up too easily. You know? Well, I already prayed about that and nothing happened, so, you know. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago. Waiting on the Lord. Need to learn to wait. Need to persevere in prayer. And he told the story of this uh, corrupt judge. Jesus calls him an unjust judge. And this uh, woman comes to him and keeps pounding on his door saying, hey, you got you to gotta hear my case. You, you got to take care of me here. And, and finally, the judge gets so fed up. You know, he says, I'm going to give this woman what she wants or she's going to weary me to death. And Jesus says, hear what the unjust judge said. And he goes on to say, look, if an unjust judge is going to respond that way to someone who keeps going like this. How much more will your heavenly father with his children who repeatedly come to him? So you may pray and you may think, well, God didn't hear that one. You know, no, it's registered. And when you pray again, yeah, he heard that too. And it's adding up. He hears it. Okay, it's registering. Hang in there. Don't give up. We can tell stories, can't we, of people who we prayed for for years and then they got saved, huh? Uh, I love the uh, the end of the verse there in uh, Luke. He says uh, that he will avenge his uh, children speedily. And then he says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith? on the earth that's interesting it's that rare and he's saying when i come what if there's going to be any left and yet look at all the mega churches around the world what he's saying there is we talked about this earlier the mustard seed is really grown okay so in a sense her faith passed the water test okay because uh she not only didn't let go, it says in uh, ver- what is it, verse 23, notice this. His disciples came and urged him saying, send her away for she cries it after us. You get the idea. She didn't just say it once. In fact, we know that because from Mark, it says she kept asking. She didn't give up. OK, well, step number two, he's going to add the lie. Going <laughs> to get a little stronger here in verse 24. He speaks now and he says, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. How would you take that? 
You're asking Jesus for something, and he says, listen, I wasn't sent to the Gentiles. I was sent to the Jews. Ouch. She didn't give up. I want you to notice something. This is very important. Jesus never says to her, no, I will not. Okay? He, does, he never says that, and that's very important. The door is always open, in other words. And as long as there's just a chink, She's not going to let go. Jesus is great at this. He knows how to work with people. He knew exactly what her faith was, and he knew what he could and could not do. And so if you think about what he said when he said, "Uh, I wasn't sent but to the house of Israel, he's implying that he shouldn't help her. But he's not saying no. Okay? He's trying to he's trying to discourage her, but but he knows that he won't because of her faith. He knows that we don't see that, but he does. Beneath this rough exterior, I'll tell you, Jesus is moved with compassion for this woman. And for her daughter. Well, her response. Verse 25 says she came and worshiped him. Oh, wow. Isn't that great? What a response. The stronger the test, the stronger her faith is shown. And then uh, this plaintive cry of hers, just three words, Lord, help me from the heart, you know, Lord, help me. Jesus heard that. She didn't have any answer to his objection. She's not going to get into some theological a discussion about Jews and Gentiles. She just knows Jesus can do what she needs and she's not going to give up until she gets what she wants. And we know this is something he can't resist because she's got a broken and contrite heart. We're told in the Bible that's something that God can't resist. You wonder what the disciples are thinking at this point, you know? If they were already aggravated with her, I think they're going, you know, man, what's it going to take? You know, you know, kind of like, you know. Well, it's interesting. They didn't see what Jesus saw. In fact, it's interesting to me. He's going to say to her, a woman, great is your faith. You know what he often said to them? Oh, ye of little faith. He said over and over again, not criticizing him. I would have been right there with him. But it's refreshing to Jesus to have someone like this. And he's going to seize the opportunity and show them and us uh, an example of great faith. As the heat is turned up, whereas other faiths might have melted away, she grabs on all the tighter like Jacob. Remember Jacob wrestling with God and uh, and God says, let me go and. And Jacob says, I'm not going to let you go until you give me a blessing. That's great. You know, I'm going to hang on. That's the faith that honors God. You know, that's not easily discouraged. Jesus knows he has 24 karat gold here and he wants to show it. I've, I've told you this before. Uh, I have an image that I remember very clearly from Gene Gibson. Um, when I pray with him, we usually would sit and pray. But one time we were praying about something that was particularly uh, deep in his heart. 
And so he said, let's get down on the floor. So we, we knelt on the floor. And then I heard some rustle. I looked over and Gene reached out. There was a chair on the floor in front of us. And he reached out and he grabbed the, the legs of that chair. And he cried out. I mean, from the heart. You could hear this guy was praying a heartfelt prayer. And I knew what he was doing. He was picturing himself in the throne room of God, grabbing onto the throne of God, just pouring his heart out before the throne. This woman was like that. Well, now it's time to bring out the acid. Verse 26. But he answered and said, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And you'll read commentators and they'll try to make excuses for this and explain it away. You know, it's really not that bad what Jesus. Yes, it is. It's meant to be to show this woman's faith. First of all, he's talking about her and he says, it's not good. What's he talking about? He's talking about him helping her, isn't he? That's what he's illustrating. And he's saying it's not good. You're not a Jew. And then here's the kicker. The little dogs. Who's the dog? In particular, can you think of one? The lady. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and on top of that, by the way, the way he illustrates it, he's, it, basically he says, for me to help you would be like taking the food from little children and not just giving it to dogs, but throwing it to the dogs. You know, just throwing it away. that offend you look jesus said it and he meant it so this woman could show the kind of faith that she had in her heart for him he wouldn't have done this if he hadn't known the faith well that's the that's the nitric acid you know it dissolves even silver but not gold and that's what she's got she trusts him no matter what You ever been through a trial like that where it looks like God is being rude to you? Yeah. Job did. His wife said so. In fact, she said, why don't you just curse God and die? See, at that point, after what God had done, she said, I don't know what that God is about, but you might as well curse him because that's what he deserves. That was her understanding, you see. Too often... We look at the little tiny picture we have of what God is about. Of course, we don't realize he's dealing with a whole world of seven billion people, you know, and an eternity of history where he is working all things so that when it's all said and done, he receives maximum glory. Could you do that? <laughs> we just think about me and why did he do that to me, you know? And we may not say it, but we're going, boy, I think God made a mistake this time. He's being awfully rude to me. Genuine faith stands no matter what God sends our way. And what did Job say? Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. Isn't that good? He can kill me. I trust him. And he's exactly right. 
Martin Luther has a great quote. He said, um, I would run into Christ's arms even if he had a drawn sword in his hand. Isn't that great? There's a hymn, we don't sing it very often, um, written by a good old Puritan, Cowper. It's in our hymnal. Here's one line. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense. In other words, look, don't just look at what you know and judge God and what he's doing. You can't do that. But trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. I like that. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Well, what was her response? Well, it's solid gold. 24 carats. Her first two words, by the way, in response to this picture of throwing bread to the dogs. Yes, Lord. (laughs) Yes, Lord. I'm not going to argue with you. You're right. That's right. Yes, Lord. By the way, in contrast to to Peter's slip up, you know, not so, Lord. (laughs) His famous statement. Yes, Lord. No argument. She doesn't take them on. She didn't say, man, what a male chauvinist you are. You know? Everything you said is right. Little dog, yeah, that's me. I'm a nobody in your side. I'm unworthy. And then she says, listen to this. Even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. She she thought about that one. What a perfect response. She, yeah, little dog, that's right. That's me. I'll be happy with the crumbs. Don't You don't have to throw me any bread. Don't throw me into the children's food. I'll take a crumb. <laughs> you know what she's saying by that? First of all, she's saying, look, I know I'm unworthy. But she's also saying, healing my daughter at a distance from demon possession for you is just a crumb compared to what you could do. That's what she's saying. My daughter's not here. She's back at home. I don't know how far away she is. Miles, probably. And she believes, she hasn't let go, that Jesus can heal her right where they stand without even seeing her daughter. And she's calling that a crumb. She knows how great he is. And she knows his heart, by the way. She understood exactly what he said and she responded on the spot from a faith that absolutely refused to give up on him. Another word too, by the way, I pointed out that when Jesus spoke, he said, throw the food, you know, that's another kind of a dig. Notice what she did. She said, fall. You see that? In other words, I don't want you to throw the food. It's it's just kind of an accidental, you know, the dogs are down there and a crumb drops, you know, oh, wow, I'll get that one. And so she's putting herself, she's a nobody, you know, you don't even know the dog's there. That's the idea. The crumb falls and he gets it. Nobody notices. That fall unrecognized, unnoticed. That's fine. I'll be a nobody. I'll take your crumb. That's great. Wow. Well. Not surprisingly, her daughter was healed. Okay, that's the happy ending. 
But more than that, uh, she got praise from Jesus' own lips. It's recorded right here. How many times have Christians through the centuries read these words, read about this woman and held forth as an as a model, as an example, commended by no one less than Jesus? Oh, woman, great is your faith. He only says that twice in all four Gospels, just two times here and with the centurion. That's it. Everywhere else, it's oh, ye of little faith. Why is it great? Not because she believed he could heal. Thousands of people did that. And not even that she believed he could heal at a distance. Others did that as well. I don't know how to put this. I'll put it bluntly. It was because her faith could take a beating. She had strong faith. And God loves that. And it's hard to find. And so that's why Jesus went to the extent. And he's acknowledging, by the way. He knows he was hard on her. That's why he says that. Great is your faith. I know I've been hard on you. But I wanted everybody to see what you've got. Everybody knows the love chapter in uh, 1 Corinthians. And Paul ends it. He says, now abide these three, faith, hope, and love. And of course, the greatest of these is love. But he goes on to say that when the perfect comes, the imperfect is going to be done away with. You know what the imperfect there is? It's faith and hope. Oh, that, what do you mean? That's, they're, they're good things. It's not that they're bad things. It's that when Jesus comes, we can't have faith anymore. Did you know that? Does that blow you away? You know why we can't have faith anymore? Because we're going to see him. Okay? Faith is gone. When you go to be with Jesus, you're not going to have a chance anymore. To show your faith in Jesus ever again. This is the only opportunity right now when you don't see him. We walk by what? Not by what? Right. Faith, not their opposites. And when you've got the one, you don't have the other. Faith is going to be done away with. Hope is going to be gone. (laughs) Not that we're going to be hopeless. But that all the promises that God has given us are all going to be realized. Not that there's not going to be anything to look forward to, by the way, because it says in Ephesians, he's going to demonstrate to us his kindness as the ages roll upon one another. Wow. But faith is going to be gone. So we have a very brief time right here in this scene on this earth to show him how much we trust him, how much we love him to show our faith, and then it's going to be gone forever. You might call it, no pun intended, a golden opportunity. Peter said, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. That the genuineness, the reality, the proof of your faith, being much more precious than gold, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we do pray this morning that you would help us to number our days. They go by so quickly. And in the midst of all the activities we have, Lord, may we make it a priority to show you by our lives, just how much you mean to us. 
And not just you, but that so others could see it as well. Not that uh, we might receive praise, but that you might be seen to be the great God that you are. That you might receive all the praise and the honor and the glory. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.